And I must say a word about John Reynolds, who's been to me many, many years now. Came when we were just starting out almost as a church, as our song leader, associate pastor, wore many hats, youth director, served many capacities, his wife Becky on the piano, and what a blessing they've been to me throughout my life and my ministry. And, uh, and this week did a super job leading the music and, and the choir. And I want to say a word about the preachers who are here. We did not recognize every night each group that came because of the time element, but I'm not unaware of the fact that there are groups here tonight. The group from Haines City, other groups are here, and uh, one church, I think the pastor told me had maybe nearly a hundred here every night during this meeting. And I'm not unaware of that, and uh, we're not uh, ungrateful at all. We're very grateful that you came and brought your people to be in this conference. I hope uh, that it is a blessing and help to you and your church and your ministry. And uh, I don't know, I'll miss something. If I miss something, I'll think of it after a while. I'll stop preaching today what it was I missed. But, uh, but I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have been here. It's been a good week. Everything's been good. Motel service, as far as I can tell. Everything's been just, as we say down south, jam up and jelly tight. So it's been very good. Now, I do believe in mixed emotions. I, I don't know whether it's good or bad that I'm going home. I'm excited about going home. In fact, my wife's catching one of the buses and going back tonight, and I'm still going to preaching in Tampa on Sunday. And so I don't get to go back home till Monday. Then I leave out on Tuesday after I get home on Monday to drive over to Clarence Sexton's, one of our speakers this week, to uh, address uh, his faculty for an orientation meeting for his teachers, the opening of his college this fall. So I'll be there Tuesday night and back home in Murfreesboro on Wednesday, and I leave again on, I think, Saturday to go up West Virginia somewhere. And uh, I stay in the air more than a seagull with sore feet. <laughs> I drive everywhere. Somebody said, why do you drive? Are you, are you afraid of flying? I said, no, I'm afraid of crashing. <laughs> and uh, one guy said, don't you trust the Lord? I said, I do trust the Lord, but I don't trust those planes and those pilots. But uh, I have to fly occasionally, but I, I drive a lot. I mean, sometimes I drive four or 5,000 miles in a month. But uh, I'm enjoying it, and I, I don't enjoy being away from home, but I enjoy the meetings. Now, I'd like to preach about 15 minutes tonight. <laughs> Never have done it in my life. I'd like to do that sometime, though. <laughs> but I want to be a blessing to you. Open your Bible to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4, and Mark chapter 3. Give you time to find those. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4. Mark chapter 3. I didn't give you a verse because I don't want you to read the verse and get ahead of me. Please listen to me for the next few minutes. All sin is against God. When David sinned, he prayed against thee, and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. In Psalm 119, David wrote, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. All sin is against God. If I sin against uh, John Reynolds and wrong John Reynolds, and I go to Pastor Jan and I say, David, I want you to help me. Please forgive me. I've, I've sinned against John. I wish I hadn't done it. Will you forgive me, David? David said, I'd like to forgive you. But the truth is, I can't forgive you. If you sin against John, you must go to John and get forgiveness. On the other hand, if I sinned against the pastor and I went to John Reynolds and I said, John, please forgive me. I sinned against Pastor Jenny. He said, I'd like to help you, but I can't. If you sin against David Janney, you must go ask his forgiveness. 
and get forgiveness from him. All sin is against God, so God must forgive all sin. If I got it right with John Reynolds and got it right with Pastor Janney, I'm still not totally right. I still got to get it right with God because all sin is against God. I'm thinking tonight of three particular sins that are committed against God, the Holy Spirit. They're not three gods. There's only one God. And God and the Holy Spirit are used synonymous in the Bible. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias agreed with his wife to sell her possessions and give it to the church, they also agreed to keep back part of it. And Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. We say we have Jesus in our heart, and I have no quabble with that. But in reality, what you have is the Holy Spirit in your body. Jesus is in heaven in a body seated at the right hand of the Father. But I don't quabble with somebody saying he has Jesus in his heart, because Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ is in every believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. And God is in every believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. But what we have, I should say who we have, is the Holy Spirit living in our bodies. Came in the night we got saved. And the Bible promises he will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. And Romans 8 and 9 says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, which is in you, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price. And Ephesians 4, Galatians 4, Ephesians 4, 6, Galatians 4, 6, get it right, says, God has given us the spirit of his Son, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Tonight I got saved as an 11-year-old boy. Somebody moved into my body. And that somebody is as real as my mother, as as real as my wife, as as real as my four children, as as real as my nine grandchildren. That somebody who lives in my body is as real as the dearest friend I have. That somebody is the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes sermons about the Holy Spirit confuse us doctrinally about the Holy Spirit. We sometimes hear such statement as, the blessed Holy Spirit, the third person in the Godhead. You ever heard that expression before? Yeah. I've heard it many, many times. And we mean well by the statement, but I'm afraid when somebody hears us say, the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Godhead, that they immediately think, well, God is number one, and Jesus is number two, and the Holy Spirit is number three. And there is no one, two, three in the Godhead. There's only a one and a one and a one in the Godhead, each one being co-equal. The Holy Spirit and God are synonymous in the Bible. So what I have is the Holy Spirit in my body. We sometimes say to man, clean your heart out and God will give you more of the Holy Spirit. But the truth of the matter is, nobody can have more of the Holy Spirit than anybody else. Two problems with that statement about cleaning your heart out and God will give you more of the Holy Spirit. Problem number one is, your heart is not a receptacle. Like a glass. And problem number two is the Holy Spirit is not a substance like water in a jug, and you don't get a little more of him and a little more of him and a little more of him. The Holy Spirit is a person, and when you get saved, you get all the person there is of the Holy Spirit. You don't get him in little parts. When you got married, your wife's a person. You got all of her when you married her. 
There may be more of her now than there was when you got her. But when you got her, you got all of her the day you got her. You didn't get her in parts and pieces. Now, when you got the Holy Spirit, you got all the Holy Spirit you'll ever get. And number two, your heart's not a receptacle that you clean out and God pours a little more of the Holy Spirit in, a little more till it's full and runs over. My father-in-law, after Barney Clark, was out in Utah, received that artificial heart and lived for a long time after that with an artificial heart. My father-in-law, the next night at the supper table, it's supper table for us, it's dinner table for those who don't know better. Breakfast is what you have in the morning, dinner is what you have in the middle of the day, supper is what you have at night. And lunch is something you put in a paper sack and carry to school with you. But at the supper table, my father-in-law said, I want to ask you something. I said, all right. He said, now, if that man had Jesus in his heart, where is Jesus? And I had to explain that preachers don't mean exactly what they say. That Jesus is not in his heart, the Holy Spirit's in his body, and in that sense, the Holy uh, Jesus is in him, and God is in him, but the Holy Spirit indwells the body. That's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And the Bible said, he'll abide with you forever. Never one moment since I've been saved have I been without the Holy Spirit. He's been in me since the day I got saved. Never one split second has he left me. He never will leave me. Even when I'm raised from the dead, it'll be the Holy Spirit that quickens or makes alive my mortal body. Romans 8, 11 says, The Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies. Somebody lives in your body, a real person. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, Quench not the Spirit. Now, I may not touch the other two verses. What the Bible has said to me, Curtis, is don't stifle, don't smother, don't put out the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who will never leave. Don't stifle it, don't smother it, don't put it out. There are many emblems of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And one symbol, our emblem of the Holy Spirit, is fire. Over the day of Pentecost, he came and sat on their shoulders in little cloven tongues like fire. Now, God is saying to John Reynolds, don't quench the Holy Spirit. He's saying to Mark, listen, don't quench the Holy Spirit. He said to me, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't stifle, don't smother, don't put it out. If he says that, then there must be a possibility of us stifling, smothering, quenching the fire of the Holy Spirit that God put in every believer when they were saved. I'm riding on the highway thinking about this verse. And I'm thinking like this. I'm thinking, did God give D.L. Moody any more of the fire than he gave me? Did God give Dr. Lee Robinson any more of the fire than he gave me? Dr. Robinson, 40 years, baptized 1,500 converts a year. Did God give Billy Sunday more of the fire of the Holy Spirit than he gave me when I was saved? And the answer is no. When Billy Sonny was saved, he had the same Holy Spirit in his body that I got in my body that I got saved. If Billy Sonny indeed is more on fire for God than I am, it's because he's been doing something to fuel the fire, and I've been doing something to quench the fire. So that every individual, all the preacher boys back in the back of this building that are now probably in a school, I'm assuming that, everyone can have much of the fire God is they want. It's not up to somebody else, it's up to the individual himself. It does not say, Curtis, don't let John Reynolds quench your fire. 
It doesn't say, David, don't let your father quench your fire. It says to me, quench not the Spirit. Nobody else can do anything to quench the fire in me except me. I'm the one who stifles it. I'm the one who smothers it. I'm the one who puts it out. Now, we come to meetings like this, and we hear prayers like this. Oh, God, set us on fire. We sing songs. Set my soul of fire, Lord. Set my soul of fire, Lord. But all the time we're singing, set my soul of fire, and all the time we're praying, Lord, set me on fire, we're also doing things that are quenching, smothering, stifling the fire. It's like a man with a garden hose spraying a fire, putting it out, praying, Lord, let it burn hot. And we wonder why he doesn't set us fire. He didn't say, pray and I'll set you on fire. He said, I've given you the fire. Don't put it out. Don't quench it. Don't smother it. Now, how do we quench the Holy Spirit? Number one, by disobeying the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14 says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Bible is a wonderful, wonderful book. It is a perfect book. But I must tell you, the Bible is a condensed book. Not condensed by Reader's Digest, but condensed by God Himself. What I mean by that is what the Bible says in the last chapter of John. If all the things that Jesus did were written in books, I suppose that even the world itself would not have contained the books that would have been written. Now, here's something you need to write down. The Bible is not a revelation of what God knows. The Bible is a revelation of what God wants us to know. If the Bible's a revelation of what God knew, the world wouldn't hold all the books because there's nothing God doesn't know. God knows how many hairs on every head in this building. He knows how many I lost in the shower this morning. He knows how much everybody weighs in this building, and nobody can lie about their weight. He knows how old everybody is in this building. He knows how many grains of sand are, are, are in the pavement outside of this building in this parking lot. God knows how many times you breathe today, how many times your heart beats today. You don't know that. Nobody else knows that. But God knows that. You don't, you, there's nothing God doesn't know. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Somebody said, I don't want to disappoint God. I said, you don't worry, you can't disappoint God. Because disappointment is not realizing certain expectations. And God never expects something from you. That you're disappointed about because he knows what you're going to do before you do it. So, if the Bible is this small book of 66 books, then every word of it must be very important. Because God didn't tell me everything he knows. He told me what he wants me to know. And in this book of what he wants me to know, he says there's some things that won't be spelled out for you. For instance, when I was invited to come here to this conference... I could have went through the Bible, looked in every book in the Bible. I never would have found a verse that said, Thou shalt go to Orlando, Florida, August the 12th through the 16th, 1991, to preach for David Janney at the Orlando Baptist Church. That's not in the Bible. But I somehow feel I ought to be here. I feel God wants me here. I didn't get that out of the Bible. How did I know God wanted me here? Because Romans 8, 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I was led by the Spirit to come here. How does the Spirit lead me? Leads me through my desires. Philippians 2.13 said, It's God that works in you. God, and use the Holy Spirit. God that works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. God creates a desire to do what He wants you to do, and then gives you the power to live out that desire. Don't get mad, but it's a desire to preach. It's not the call to preach. I haven't been called to preach. 
I've had no visions. I've had no weird dreams. I just had a desire to preach. And I said, Lord, if you don't, if you don't take this desire away, I'm going to preach. He didn't take it away, and I started preaching. I'm still preaching. I said to Dr. Rice, tell me how God called you to preach. He said, I'm not sure he called me. He said, I might have pushed myself on him. I don't know. He said, I just wanted to preach, and I started preaching. If God don't make me quit, I'm going to keep on preaching until I die. He said. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. The desires are God-given when you surrender to Christ. I knew I ought to come here because I had a desire to come here. He came as pastor, not because he saw writing in the sky or read in the Bible, but something inside said, David, that's the place for you. Did you hear David Bowler talk about this morning? He said, he had cried. He told her, I knew that that's the place for me. He said, something inside, that's the place for you, David, and I'm going with you. Many times we've been led by the Spirit of God. I was driving back from Greenville, South Carolina, and I saw a hitchhiker on the right-hand side of the road. And something inside, no audible voice, but something said you ought to pick him up. No audible voice. If something said, Curtis, I wouldn't be here tonight. I'd still be running. (laughs) But a little something inside said, Curtis, you ought to pick him up. And I talked back to that little voice. I said, no, no, it's dangerous. You don't pick up hitchhikers in the middle of the night. You get killed that way. And I passed the guy up. And that little voice wouldn't leave me alone. That little voice said, but you told me one time on your knees, you'd do anything I wanted you to do. You'd go anywhere I wanted you to go. All that would keep you from doing is you wouldn't know what I wanted you to do. And you knew I wanted you to pick him up. I said, yeah, but you know it's dangerous. And the little voice said, yeah, but you know I wanted you to pick him up and I could take care of you. And I said, all right, I got mad. Did you ever get mad at the Lord a little bit? I'm on Expressway 85 headed south toward Atlanta. I'm outside of Greenville. And I'm saying, hey, I've got I to find a place to turn around and go back to get that guy. But the little voice kept saying, you ought to pick him up. I said, okay, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not arguing with you the rest of the night. I'm going back and get the guy. I'm satisfied you. Get you off my back. You're worried me. <laughs> Did you ever try to turn around on an expressway when you need to turn around? <laughs> Couldn't find an exit? Every time you saw a little place where you could cross over, said a big sign said, authorized vehicles on. You ever see that? Every time I turn, authorized vehicles, go another mile, authorized vehicles. That's about eight of those signs out of sight of my vehicles authorized. <laughs> my turn. Drove eight or ten miles out of my way, back up the road, crossed a, a bridge, came back down, got to the fa- place where the fellow was standing. He wasn't there, and I was getting ready to say, see what you put me through for nothing. And I looked, and the man was sitting on the bank. And I stopped. When I did, he came running down to the car before he got in. I was afraid. My wife would have been there, wouldn't have been afraid. She'd knock the daylights out of me. But I was afraid. I'm so afraid of me that I knocks on the door at night. I send her to the door. I never go to the door at night. They ain't going to pick on her if they do. They wish they hadn't. I'll tell you that. But open the door. The guy got in. And I said to the fella, I passed you a few minutes ago. He said, I know what I saw you. I said, I started to pick you up. He said, I thought you was. <laughs> I said, I came back out of my way, eight, maybe 15 miles, counting how far I went down and coming back, just to get you. 
Let me tell you why I did it. He said, why? I said, I'm a preacher. And when I passed you, God seemed to have to pick you up. And he wouldn't leave me alone. So I came back. I said, hey, are you a Christian? No, I'm not. If you die, you don't know you're good. No, I don't know that. I said, you listen while I drive. And for the next few minutes, I told that guy how to get saved. When we got near Atlanta and he wanted to get out at a certain place, I let him out. And you don't go by a feeding, but I'm going to tell you something. When I let him out of the car, the fire was burning a little hotter than it was before I picked him up. Now, we quench the fire when we don't obey the Holy Spirit. I wonder what this world would be like if every Christian would promptly obey every leading of the Holy Spirit. Like a man who walked up on his platform this morning and said, I must obey God. And handed me a check. That's all he did. So I must obey God. Handed me a check and went back. You know what that was? That wasn't God said, hey, give him a check. If he had that guy, would have been coming this way. He'd been going yonder way. But something in that guy's heart said, you ought to do that. How many of you ever felt led of the Holy Spirit to do something? Like giving an offering, witness somebody, do something. Raise your hand. Ever felt led? Then I don't need to explain it. You know what it is. Every time we say no to the Holy Spirit, we're quenching the fire. Number two, we quench the Holy Spirit when we do not cooperate with the Holy Spirit in His work. Now don't get mad at me. Please don't get mad. And I'm not against feeling good. I'm not against shouting. I'm not against hallelujah. But God did not give us the Holy Spirit to make us feel good. God did not give us the Holy Spirit to make us have a good time. Don't get mad. God did not give us the Holy Spirit to make us talk in some kind of tongue. I preached against tongues in Atlanta. One lady got mad and said, I don't care what you say. I know I have the gift of tongues. And I said, I never met a woman who didn't have it. <laughs> now, don't get mad. I did not write the Bible, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible said. There's nothing in the Bible that said God gave you the Holy Spirit to make you preach loud, or to make you preach long, or to make you spit on the first eight rows, or to make you have a good time. No. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll feel good and whoopee. No, I didn't say that. It's all right to feel good, but it's not what he gave for you for. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. It is said of John the Baptist, he shall neither drink wine nor strong drink, but shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Verse 16. And he'll talk in tongues. You know he's got it. Is that what it says in your Bible? No, it doesn't say that. And he'll feel good and shout loud. You know he's got it. He'll preach long, spit on the first eight rows. You know he's got it there. If he wears cowboy boots and kicks his heels up, you know he's got it. Now, why don't we just take the Bible like it is and take what it says? It didn't say you'd feel good or shout loud or run fast or nothing. It said, and many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God. Period. What's he giving John the Holy Ghost for from his mother's womb? So he can get a lot of Jews saved. On the day of Pentecost. You know why they spoke in tongues on Pentecost? They only spoke in tongues three times in Acts. Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19. Of the three times they spoke in tongues in Acts, only... Only one time did they do it supernaturally. That's on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 10, it does not say as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts 19, it does not say as the Spirit gave them utterance. But in Acts 2, it says in verse 4, And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, the Holy Ghost in them allowed them to speak languages they had not learned in schools. Why? 
Because God looked down from heaven and saw thousands of unsaved people there on Pentecost. And God said, that's all over. How do you know thousands were unsaved? Because in verse 41, 3,000 got saved and baptized. You had to have at least 3,000 unsaved people there. And God said, look at all those unsaved people. More people unsaved down there than they got at a whole sword conference. And there's my preachers who know the gospel, and they know how to tell folks how to get saved, but they don't know the languages of the people who need to hear the gospel. And God said, I want those sinners saved so bad that I'm going to leap a language barrier and let Dave Janney talk in a language he never learned in school just to get the gospel to them unsaved people get them saved. And God leaped a language barrier and let them preach in a tongue they didn't learn at school to get 3,000 people saved. And then some dumb people made a big thing out of the tongue. That's like bringing you a million dollars in a brown paper bag and you dump the money out and get excited over the bag. And I said, dumb fool, the bag was secondary and incidental. I had to have the bag to get the money to him. And he's shouting over the bag. The tongues on Pentecost was not the big thing. The big thing was the message that came through the tongue that got 3,000 saved. Well, make up your mind. It's sad. God gave him the Holy Spirit wanted to get a lot of people saved, get a lot of people saved. Now, what's the Holy Spirit's work in the world? Get sinners saved. I'll, I'll pray to the Father. He'll send you another company. When he's coming to you, he'll convince the world of sin and of judgment, of, judgment, of righteousness and judgment to come. The Holy Spirit seeks a sinner. The Holy Spirit saves a sinner. The Holy Spirit seals a sinner. His whole business in the world is getting sinners saved. That's his business. Now, when I cooperate with him in his work... I build the fire. But when I don't cooperate with him, I'm quenching the fire. Here's your close verse. Romans 8, 16, not 14, 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. Now, you can't see the deaf people over here. The lady's signing for the deaf. But this is with. This is with. Now, watch it. This is too. And most people who read Romans 8, 16 read it too. It doesn't say he bears witness to our spirit. It says he bears witness with our spirit, not to our spirit. We make it sound like the verse means that the Holy Spirit touches and makes us feel good. Like some kind of electrical shock. Bore witness to me. And I, oh, I felt it. You know. It doesn't say he bore witness to me. It says he bears witness with me. Don't you see the difference? With and to are two different things. It's with, not to. This is follow. This is with. When I witness, the Holy Spirit witnesses. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. It didn't say the Spirit says, Come, and then the bride says, Come. It says they do it together. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. When we tell folks to come to Christ, the Holy Spirit tells folks to come to Christ. I've seen it happen morning after morning. I saw it happen last Sunday morning. Church right here in your city. If you're not sure when you die, you go to heaven. Like to be sure, raise your hand. Fourteen hands went up. Thirteen, fourteen. Nobody else looking. I said, you that have your hands up, look right here at me a minute. They looked. They looked. I said, now, I'm going to ask you in a moment when the musicians start to play, to come down this aisle and trust the Savior. Who's that saying come? That's not the Spirit. That's the bride saying come. I'm going to ask you to come. 
And when they start by saying, come on, come right now, come on, come on, go. That's the bride saying come. But when I was saying come, something that guy's heart was saying, you ought to go. You ought to go. You ought to go. He's telling you the truth. You ought to go. And when the Spirit and the bride say come, somebody comes. I was in Sheldon Smith's church. We had, oh, I don't know how many there, but I remember the mayor, if I'm not wrong, the mayor was there in one of the morning services. We had two services. Set about four rows down. If I don't, if I, my memory serves me correctly, I said, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, raise your hand. It looked, a hundred people looks like raising a hand or more. The mayor was one of them. And I said, you have your hands up, look here at me. And they looked up. And I looked down at the mayor. I said, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you in a minute, when the music starts playing, to come down this aisle, shake the bridge and tell me you'll trust Christ as Savior. They started by saying, now, come on, come on. He looked at a lady next to him, or his wife or not. And he looked at the lady and said, does he mean me? And the woman said, yeah, you, you. And the bride was saying, come, and the spirit said, come, and his wife said, go, go. And he came and trusted Christ as his Savior in that service that morning. When you go out and witness the people, and you ask men to come to Christ, won't you trust Christ as your Savior? The Holy Spirit inside of that person said, hey, you ought to do it. You ought to do it. And when we do not cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his work, we quench the Holy Spirit. I buy my boy a lawnmower. Nice, big lawnmower, 48-inch cut. Huge thing, big engine on it. I said, son, I want you to keep the grass cut with this mower. And I leave for about two weeks. Come back. And he hadn't cut one blade of grass. But he's enjoying the lawnmower. He's out riding around on the mower in the garden. He said, Daddy, it's the best thing you ever gave me. I had more fun with this mower. You can't believe how much fun I've had. Watch this, Daddy. This thing will scratch off. He said, I, I looked a buggy up. I've been putting my buddies around this buggy back here. Watch, you, watch how fast we can go around the pond. He said, you know something? It runs faster with the blades off. I took the blades off. It really runs good now. I say, Tony, 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 you missed it. You missed it. I didn't buy you that lawnmower to have fun. I bought you that lawnmower to cut grass with. And now the grass is how your mother's lost in the front yard. We'll never find her. I'm afraid to cut it. I'm afraid you'll cut her all to pieces. And I think when we come to meetings like this and have a good time and shout and never lead a soul to Christ, I think God says, hey, hey, you're missing it. You're missing it. I didn't give you the Holy Spirit to have a good time with. I gave you the Holy Spirit to be a witness to me and get sinners saved with. I don't mind you having a good time while you're doing it. But don't take the blades off the lawnmower, please. We quench the Holy Spirit. We do not cooperate with His work. Number three, we quench the Holy Spirit by not fueling the fire. How do you fuel the fire? Luke 24, the amazed disciples were walking along the road. And Jesus appeared with them. And He began to talk with them. And then He disappeared. And those disciples said... Did not our hearts burn while he talked with us in the way? You don't think your heart would burn if you could put Jesus in person in your car and have him talk to you all the way home? If I could put him in that car with me and drive back to Murphy, I wouldn't open my mouth. I just listen. I say, talk all you can get in, Jesus. I'm just going to listen. And if you could put Jesus in your car and ride and let him talk to you, everybody would do it. 
If you could go to a little office and close the little head and talk to you, everybody would do it. As he talked with them, their hearts burned. Well, the truth of the matter is, I can let Jesus talk to me anytime I want to. For as long as I want to. D.L. Moody says, when you pray, you talk with God. When you read the Bible, God talks with you. This is God's Word. As much so as God stood here on the platform and uttered every word here, audibly where he could hear it. This is His Word. If I want if I want if I want my heart to burn, I'll do like those mess disciples. They didn't talk with me. Own this book. Read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. You can't read this book over and over without getting the holy heart burns after a while. We quench the fire when we don't fuel the fire. Number four, we quench the fire by lack of what I call quiet times of devotions with God. I think it's Psalms 39, verse 3. It says, My heart was hot within me. And while I mused, the fire burned. The word muse means to think. The word amuse means not to think. And David said, while I was thinking, thinking, he said, the fire burned. The fire burned. We, we're too busy now to have any time to get alone with God and have a quiet place where we can shut the door and nobody disturb us. I don't want to say too much about Brother Bowler, but I like what he said about his people. You at a certain time, he is in the office of the door, closed alone with the God. They didn't interrupt him. I like that. You ought to have a place where you can go. Find the backside of a cemetery, the top of a mountain, or some lonely place. Some quiet place where no disturbance. We just get alone with God and just, just think and meditate. Fill your mind full of Scripture and just think about it. David said, well, I was musing. Well, I was musing, he said, the fire burned. We quench the Holy Spirit when we don't obey the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit when we don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit in His work. We quench the Holy Spirit when we don't fuel the fire. We quench the Holy Spirit when we don't have time for devotions. I must hurry. I was going to give you three other things, but two more, but I'm going to skip the other two. We quench the Holy Spirit by sin in our life. How many have ever been out in the woods and built a woods fire? Raise your hand. Built a woods fire? How many ever put the fire out by throwing hands full of dirt on it or shovels full of dirt on it before you left? You smothered it with dirt before you left the woods. Yeah. I've done it. You've done it. The fire is burning. You don't, you don't put the fire with one handful of dirt. The kids help you. All, all of you start throwing hands full on the fire. Hands full on the fire. Till after a while, the blaze is covered. And finally, the fire is smothered. Not one handful, but handfuls accumulating on the fire till it's completely gone. Now, we don't have any reason to live sinful and wicked and immoral. We have no excuse for it. I'm not saying we're going to live perfect. We, we're not going to live perfect. But we can... I believe most of us would admit we can do better than what we're doing right now. And young people ought to sit out and say, by God's grace, I'm going to keep my life pure and moral and clean. And preachers ought to say, in the face of so many preachers messing up, I'm going to keep my life clean and moral and pure, and I'm going to live right. We quench the fire by sin in our life, knowing what's wrong. So we come to a conference. We hear all these sermons. We kneel and say, oh, God. Set my soul afire. Oh, God, build a, build a fire in us, Lord. And I, I'm with you. Let's pray it. I'm for it. But the truth of the matter is, whether or not the fire burns, is depending on what we do, not what we pray. Are we obeying Him? Then we get up off our knees, He leads us to witness, and we don't have time. He leads us to give, we don't have time. He leads us to do something else, we don't have time. And we're disobeying Him and praying for Him to set the 
that's on fire when all the time we're smothering the fire and smothering the fire and smothering the fire. These are very practical things that all of us can put into practice. If we had hours, I'd, I'd give you the second point. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, but I don't have time. But I challenge you to read the whole chapter, beginning in verse 26, and see the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. I want us to stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking. And I want you to be real still just a moment. Years ago, I read a book entitled Deeper Experiences of Famous Christians by J. Gilchrist Lawson. It was doctrinally unsound, but the stories in the book gave me a hunger and a thirst for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if you're hungry and thirsty enough, you'll be filled. Now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking. I want you to be real still. Don't raise your hand if you don't mean it. How many preachers would say to me, I want the fire to burn hot in my life. I don't want to spend my life putting the fire out. I want to spend my life fueling the fire. Raise your hand real high. If you mean it, if you're serious, don't do it if you don't mean it. You can put them down. You may put them down. Now, how many, how many laymen, you're not a preacher, but you're a member of the church, you're a Christian. How many of you would say, I, I, I do not want to smother the Holy Spirit. I don't want to put the fire. I want the fire to burn hot in my heart. I want to do what I can to fuel that fire and do the and not do the things that quench it. Would you raise your hand? Let me see it. How many do that? How many raise your hand? You may put them down. Now, nobody's looking. I'm going to ask you to do something. How many will say, by God's grace and with his help, I'll take the five things you mentioned tonight, obeying the Holy Spirit, cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his work, fueling the fire by reading the word, having, having quiet times with God, and I'll not quench it by sin. I'll try to be moral and pure. Now, you're making five vows in one here. Could say, I promise you and I promise God, preacher and layman alike, could say, I promise you and I promise God that I'm beginning tonight to set out to try to build the fire and fuel the fire and do everything I can not to quench that fire because I want it to burn hot in my heart. Raise your hand real high. Let me see it. All of the building. All right, in a moment, I'm going to have the musicians play any song they wish. Be fine. And as they start to play, I'm going to ask all of you that raise your hand to come and kneel and just verbalize your commitment on your knees. Say, Jesus, I know the Holy Spirit lives in me and I do not want to quench the Holy Spirit. I want to fuel that fire in my life. I want to take that fire back to my church, back to my Sunday school class, back to my bus route, back to my school. And I promise you, I'm going to work at making the fire burn hotter and not quench it. On your knees, verbalize that commitment right now while they play through a couple of verses when you're ready. Quickly, 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 quickly come from everywhere. If the altar fills up, you can kneel in the aisles. If the altar area fills up, you can kneel in the aisles. And, oh, God, give us a holy thirst and a holy hunger for the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Please, Lord, this closing night, may we leave here spirit-filled Christians or determined to be spirit-filled Christians. Please, just keep coming. If the, if the altar fills, you can kneel in the aisles. If the altar fills, you can stay there in the aisles on your knees. Make an altar out of the aisles. That's all right. Come far as you can to kneel there in the aisles. It'll be fine. And let's do real serious business with God for the next two or three minutes here. This is the last thing in this conference. Let's say, oh, God, I want to I fuel the fire of the Holy Ghost in my heart and life. Oh, God, I do not want to quench the Holy Spirit. I'm going to work, Lord, at not quenching it. Some of you young preachers say, I want the fire like Moody had it. I want the fire like Billy Sunday had it. I want the fire like Lee Robertson had it. And I'm going to work at fueling the fire, not quenching it. They finish this verse, I pray. On your knees.
and you can't get back. There's too many behind you. So just stay there just a second. I'll let you go in a moment. Stay holy, beautiful sight. Man kneeling with their wives. Friends kneeling with his friends. Young preachers kneeling. May God give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill you with the Holy Spirit. But our Heavenly Father, keep me ever mindful of the fact that I have a visitor living in me. Not a visitor, a permanent dweller. He'll never leave me. And I may be alone in my car, but I'm not alone. I may be alone in my room, but I'm not alone. Somebody lives in me as real as my mother, as real as my closest friend. They never leave me. Oh, help me not to grieve that person. Help me that my conduct not to grieve that person. Help my thoughts not to grieve that person. Oh, Jesus, help me to do what I can in my life not to quench the Holy Spirit. I'm ashamed of the times I smothered the fire. Oh, help me to do all I can to fuel that fire, to make it burn hotter by obeying the Holy Spirit and by cooperating with Him in His work, getting sinners saved. Please. Oh, Jesus. I went to a conference like this in 1961, a much, much smaller crowd. And you did something in my life that changed me. I don't want to never have another conference just for the sake of having conferences we never have. I only want to have a conference, Lord, so that you're doing somebody's heart and life what you did in my life in 61. Oh, I was so thrilled. It was such a breath of fresh air to, to hear these younger preachers come across this platform and preach and, and to hear them echo the things that I've heard through the years. And the sound of truths that are so dear to my own heart. Oh, Jesus, please, please get a hold of somebody's heart in a real way. Maybe some young ministerial student. Maybe some pastor's could have been lagging along, drifting along, accepting the status quo. Oh, get a hold of his heart tonight. And may he leave and say, by God's grace, if I come back next year to the conference, I'm going to have a story to tell. We're going to baptize 100 converts this year. We're going to baptize 200. We're going to baptize 250. We're going to have more people out soul winning. And all my preachers go to the platforms next Sunday morning more on fire for God because they did not smother, quench, stifle the Holy Spirit. And may He live hot in our lives. And may thousands go to heaven and be saved because of this conference. And may great churches be raised up. And I do pray, don't think I'm selfish, Jesus. I do pray that someday some preacher point back to this conference as the life-changing conference in his life. Like I point to the one that Lionel and Bob Gray points to the one to go falls. May some preacher point to this and say, that's the one. That's the one. Oh, bless this dear pastor in this church. We pray for them often because they're our own kin. And they're heavy on our hearts and we pray for them often. But Lord, hasten the day when this building will be full like this for every service here. Oh, let it be so. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.